0: Let's jump in, let's jump into uh, God's Word together. So uh, today we're going to be in Colossians again, I love the book of Colossians, and um, so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 6, let's turn together in Bibles, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The title of today's teaching is, Thank God for His People. Thank God for His People. In Colossians uh, 1, 3 through 6, the scriptures say, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope, that is, the hope stored up for you in heaven And about which you have heard, already heard, in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And you may be seated. Are we constantly... Giving thanks to God. Now, the phrase give thanks in connection with thanking God appears over and over in the scriptures. I didn't have time to to count them, but I'm going to look it up later today. I wouldn't actually count them. I'll use software. But anyway, I don't know how many times it is, but it's a ton of times. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we're encouraged to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So God's will for you and for me is that we give thanks to him in all circumstances. And God both desires and deserves our gratitude in good times and in bad times, on the mountains and in the valleys, in times of prosperity, in times of poverty, we always have so much for which we can thank God. God always provides for our needs and gives us so many blessings. And one of the main ways God does those things is through his people. And in our passage today, Paul reminds us of at least three reasons God's people should thank God for His people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. Your Word is the truth, and as the Lord Jesus prayed, we pray now that You make us holy by Your truth, that You give us both the will and the ability to hear and obey the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we talk about why we should thank God for his people, let's first look at a lesson we learned from Paul's prayer life. In Colossians 1.3, Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, Paul was constantly praying to God for God's people. Now, Paul did not pray just to, to just any God. No, Paul prayed to the one true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul was always praying to God the Father for God's people. And Paul says this several more times in this letter. In Colossians 1, 9, Paul says, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives. And in Colossians 2, 1, Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending in prayer for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Notice those words. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, I am contending in prayer for you. See, Paul knew the power of prayer. So Paul was always praying for all God's people. Paul told people to watch him and to imitate his way of life in Christ. And a huge part of Paul's way of life in Christ was the persistent practice of prayer. And if we're going to imitate Paul's prayer life, then we've got to do what Paul says in Colossians 4 too. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Do we fully understand the importance of staying watchful in prayer? Do we fully understand what God could accomplish through us if we would persistently practice prayer? We all say that Prayer is powerful. We say that prayer changes things, that prayer changes people, but are we devoted to prayer? We say those things, but do we pray enough to show people that we actually believe those things? You know, I said this last week, uh, Christians in America just talk too much. We say a lot of things, but we don't do a lot of the things that we talk about, right? We need to practice what we preach, or the world looks at us and says, You all are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites, right? that should never be the case. We've gotten to the point where people think that it's okay to be a hypocrite in the church. We're just hypocrites. Everybody's a bunch of hypocrites. No, we should not be hypocrites. We should say what what the Scriptures say. We should say what we mean. We should believe what we say and show that we believe it by doing it. See, when we cannot do anything else, we can always pray. And when I say it like that, it might sound like, well, you know, we can do everything else and then we get to prayer. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is, prayer is not the last resort. Instead, prayer should always be our first response to every circumstance. But how often do we treat it as the last resort? Well, I guess it didn't work out for us. I guess we'll pray about it. That's not how it should work. It always should start with prayer. What does the Lord want? Let's get the Lord involved with this, and then we'll see what the Lord wants to do with it, right? Because the weakest member of the church becomes a mighty warrior with the power to move mountains when we approach God's throne of grace in prayer. And this is why James encourages in James 5, 13 to 16, he says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of the saints is powerful and effective. Prayer has the power to ease suffering. Prayer has the power to heal people, not just from physical sickness, but spiritual sickness as well. Prayer has the power to save us from our sins. And every righteous person, every saint, every child of God has access to the indescribable power of prayer. The power is available to all of us. But to access that power, we've all got to get past the inescapable problem with prayer. The problem with prayer is prayer is not easy. And you might say, well, it should be easy enough. Well, the reason I say this is because if prayer were easy, then none of us would have any problem doing it, right? We wouldn't have any problem praying. If it's easy, we just all do it. We don't need a million books written about it. People always ask, how do I pray? What do I do to pray? We wouldn't need any of that if it was easy. We would not need these constant reminders in the scriptures to keep watching, to keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Those are there because prayer is not easy. But who said the Christian life was supposed to be easy? You might say Joel Osteen said that. Right? Benny Hinn. Uh, Who else we got? Um, Creflo Dollar. Somebody give me another one. In other words, the modern gospel says that the Christian life is easy. But that's certainly not the message of the scriptures. Jesus said the gate that leads to life is narrow and the way is difficult. And Jesus also said all who want to be his disciples must take up our own cross and daily or take up our own cross daily and follow him. See in American culture we think that Jesus took up a cross so we don't have to take up a cross and then we say stuff like that. That's not what the scriptures teach. Jesus left us an example to follow in his footsteps, just a life of Suffering. I talked about this last week. It's a life of suffering. This is not going to be an easy life for anybody. And part of that cross that we're called to carry is a cross of persistent prayer. Consistent, deliberate prayer is not easy. It's difficult because it takes something that most of us don't have much of, and that is discipline. discipline. We don't like the word either. I don't like discipline. I don't like to hear about that. don't like it. But it's a discipline that we've all got to learn if we're going to live to please God. God expects us, and he actually gives us the Spirit so that we're able to be disciplined. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit of God, is that we have self-control, which is discipline. And through the grace that God gives us, we must devote our lives to the practice of prayer. So we've got to learn to treat prayer like it's our most essential task that we're going to do every day. It needs to be the first thing we do in the morning, the last thing we do before we go to bed. Because if we're children of God, prayer is the most essential task that we'll do every day. So we cannot live a, cons- a consistent Christian life if we do not have a persistent prayer life. We've got to pray not just for ourselves, but for everyone, just like Paul did. Let's devote ourselves to prayer. No matter the opposition, and there will be opposition, let's discipline ourselves to be persistent in praying for ourselves. Praying for God's people, praying for our family and our friends, praying for our governmental leaders, uh, praying for the world. That's our job as priests of God. We all talk about the priesthood of believers. We like to say that, but what does that mean? What did priests do? Priests pray for people. Priests intercede for the world. That's part of what a priest does. So if you and I are priests, then we need to dedicate ourselves to approaching God's throne of grace with confidence several times a day so that we can pray to the to God for the world. And when we pray, let's expect God to hear and answer our prayers. Let's expect our prayers to be powerful and effective. Let's expect God to change things, to change people, to change the world through our prayers. That's what Paul did. Paul had a prolific prayer life that we all should imitate. And part of what we should do as we pray every day is to constantly thank God and one of the things we thank God for is God's people. So let's look now at three reasons Paul gave thanks to God for God's people. Three reasons we should thank God for his people. First, we should thank God for the faith of God's people. In Colossians 1.4, Paul says, He and Timothy thank God because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul was so thankful whenever anyone heard the gospel of the kingdom. Not only did they hear it, but they responded to the gospel by putting their faith in Christ Jesus. And that's what all of us should want, right? We, all, we should all want to see the world come to faith in Christ Jesus. But let's talk for a minute about what that means. What does it mean to come to faith in Christ Jesus? Well, first it means we need to be sure we believe in the real Jesus. Because there are countless counterfeits floating around in so-called Christian culture. So many ideas about who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, and what Jesus expects from us. See, the Jesus that Joel Osteen talks about is not the real Jesus. That's not the real Jesus. It's a false Jesus that he's invented by his own reading of the scriptures. Oh, God is this way, and God is that way. Don't listen to Joel Osteen. He is a thief and a liar, as the scriptures say about every false teacher. They are thieves and liars that come to steal, kill, destroy. He's got a good smile but that's because he's got his face as Botox. That's all it is. It's a fake smile. It's fake, right? And think about this for a minute. The guy, I mean, it's not just against Joel Osteen I'm talking, but it's this plastic world that's created is not real. Joel Osteen is preaching a false gospel. He preaches a false Jesus that doesn't exist, and his false gospel will lead millions into the pit of hell. And that's going to be on Joel Osteen, right? So I warn you against people like this because we need to know who the real Jesus is, what the real Jesus is like, and what Jesus does expect from us. But there's, you know, there's only one real Jesus. And we learn about the real Jesus through the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints in the church. As Paul says in verse Timothy 3:15, the church of the living God is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it's in the church that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The church exists to bring unity to God's people in the faith. That's what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have a united We're supposed to all believe the same thing about Jesus. But let me ask you a question. Looking around at the world around us, the church world, is that what we see? Do we see unity in the faith? So then let me ask you another question. If we all claim to be following the same Jesus, why don't we have unity in the faith about who Jesus is? Why don't we have those things? What we'll say is because, well, those people, they they don't know what the Scriptures teach. We teach the Scriptures. They don't. Let me ask you another question. Does any church that you guys know of say, we don't believe in the Bible. We don't believe in it. We don't, we don't teach that at all. Did you hear anybody say that? They don't. Everybody thinks they teach the Scriptures, right? So the problem is we've not been taught the faith of the saints, the faith that's handed down, not just from the Scripture, what the church believes about Christ. It's the same thing from the beginning, the same thing from the beginning. We've got 30,000 denominations all around us in the world, all claiming to follow the same Jesus but it can't be true. We can't all be following the same Jesus. The spirit of truth cannot be leading a bunch of people into error, correct? So the Lord gives us the church who upholds the truth, the truth, the pillar and foundation. So the church teaches the true faith and leads us to a true knowledge of God's Son. So to believe in the real Jesus, we've got to believe in the Jesus the church reveals to us. And the church tells us that the scriptures teach the real Jesus claimed to be the Christ the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus claimed to be our Lord and our Savior. Jesus claimed to be the only way to God the Father. And a lot of people say Jesus never claimed to be God, but he absolutely did. When he called himself the Son of God, that's what he was doing. That's what the Pharisees accused him of. You, though you are a man, you say you're the Son of God, making yourself equal with God. That's what we're taught about who Jesus is. And Jesus proved he is who he claimed to be by rising from the dead. See, the real Jesus is the anointed king of God's eternal kingdom. He's the divine human son of the living God. He's our Lord and our Savior, and the only one who can lead us to the Father because it's only in him that we are united with the Father. See, those are the facts about Jesus. That's who the real Jesus is. But simply believing those facts about Jesus does not mean we've come to faith in Christ Jesus. See, if we truly believe that Jesus is God's divine son, and that he's the anointed king of God's kingdom, and he's the only way to eternal life with God the Father, then we will submit to Jesus and obey Jesus as our king. That's what it means to have faith in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be saved by grace through faith. It's through the grace of God that we come to be able to obey the commands of Christ. As Paul puts it in Colossians 2, 5 through 7, Though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The Christian faith is built on the the firm foundation that Jesus Christ is Lord we must not only believe he is Lord. You know, the, you know, Satan believes that Jesus is Lord. The demons believe Jesus is Lord. They know he's Lord. They actually tremble over this, right? But they, they don't have this type of belief that can save them, right? We must receive him as our Lord, submit to him as our Lord. And then we must continue to live the Christian life, submitting to everything that he says, everything that he tells us to do. That's what a disciple of Christ is. So to have faith in Christ Jesus, it means this. We recognize Jesus as the king of God's eternal kingdom. We submit to Jesus as the king of our lives, and we strive through God's grace to live a godly life as we obey our king's commands. That is the whole purpose of the new birth, the whole purpose that God writes his laws on our hearts. He takes out our old heart, gives us a new heart, and then gives us the ability to obey his commands, something the law could never do. The spirit now produces within us the ability to obey the command of God. And Paul was thankful to hear that the Colossians had that kind of faith, in Christ Jesus. You thank God for the faith of God's people, and we should too. We should thank God when people hear the gospel of God's kingdom and believe Jesus is the king of that kingdom and receive Jesus as their king. We should thank God when people turn away from lawless lives and give Jesus complete control of everything. We should be thankful because every time that happens, another precious person is rescued from the kingdom of darkness. Another precious person is relocated to the kingdom of light. Another precious person is being recreated in the image and likeness of God. Another precious person is freed from the addiction of sin and is given the hope of a new life now and of eternal life in Christ's eternal kingdom in the life to come. So with Paul, let's thank God for the faith of God's people. And let's also thank God for God, thank God for God's people for a second reason. Just thank thank God for the love of God's people. Thank God for the love of His people. And in the second part of Colossians 1.4, Paul tells us the tells the saints at Colossae that he and Timothy are thankful because we have heard of the love you have for all God's people. So if we're God's children, we will have love for all God's people. Even for those who get on your nerves, we'll have love for all of God's people. Right? <laughs> and the reason this is, is because this is not a natural love, it's a supernatural love. It's love that's produced in in God's people by God's Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul says in Colossians 1.8. He says, Epaphras also told us about the love you have from the Holy Spirit. So when we're born again and become children of God, the Holy Spirit fills us with God's love. His love is poured out into our hearts. He radically changes our hearts. He cuts out that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And that new heart is beats with a deep love for God's people. The people we once had no desire to be around become our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. People we used to hate are now people we want to hug. People we used to avoid are now people that we adore. And this is because we all have a super, supernatural love. It's hard to say it with a straight face. This is because we all have a super, supernatural love given to us from the Spirit of God. And like Paul, we ought to thank God every time we hear about the love our brothers and sisters in Christ have for his people. Because it's God's love that drives his people to pray for us. It's God's love that drives God's people to be patient with us, that drives God's people to be kind, to be compassionate, and to do good to us. It's God's love that drives God's people to lay down their lives for us, to serve us, and to treat us like, we want to be, or treat us like they want to be treated. Everything God, get, uh, God's people do for one another, and everyone else in this world, we do that because of God's love. We all do things that, at least for me, I, I do things now that I would have never done when I was not a Christian. I care about people I never cared about before. I'm always looking for a way to serve people. That's not that's not something that's natural for me. It's something that God has supernaturally produced in me, and He does that through the Spirit. And he'll do the same for all of us, right? So let's thank God for the faith of God's people and the love of God's people and finally let's thank God for third reason thank God for the hope of God's people. Now Colossians 1:5 Paul describes the faith and love of God's people as the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. You know we all need hope right now. Your neighbor needs hope. Your coworkers need hope. Everyone you talk to this week, everyone you see this week, they need hope. Because when you look at the world, you're seeing that the world is becoming more and more hopeless, hopelessly lost every single day. But we as Christians, we can thank God, thank our God and Father. He's given us a glorious hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a living hope. It's a hope in a living Lord and Savior a hope that is stored up for us in heaven, a hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade away. Paul tells us what this hope is in Colossians 127. Paul says our hope is the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What we've done is a disservice to a lot of people in our culture because what we've taught them is Christianity is all about the hope of Missing out on going to hell. That's what we tell people, right? That's not the gospel. The gospel is the hope of glory. The hope of glory. What is the hope of glory? Of sharing in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as we become like him, as we're recreated in his likeness. That's what Christianity is. The hope of, the glory, the hope of glory is the hope of the riches. God's faithful people will inherit in the glorious kingdom of God's son. And I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. We'll share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, right now, as Christ lives in us and among us in the church, we're receiving some of the riches of uh, of the blessings of Christ's kingdom in this present age. But in the age to come, our hope will be fully realized. And when Christ appears in glory, the scriptures tell us, we who are faithful followers of Christ, we will also appear with him in glory Uh, Some of the people I talk to, it sounds like, for them, that's blasphemous for us to claim that we can share in God's glory. Well, let me tell you something. I don't claim that. The scriptures tell us that, right? It's time that we understand what our heritage is as followers of Christ, our true heritage. You know, it's, it's, it's cool to miss out on hell. Yeah, that's great. Nobody wants to go to hell, right? But it's much more, if we start to preach what the truth is, is that not only do we miss out on that, we also... Become a part of God's kingdom, and we get to share in the glory of heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say this often. This is the best way to say it. Jesus became like us, so that through His grace we could become like Him. That's what this thing is all about. Now, imagine if you have somebody who says, "I'm addicted to drugs. I can't get off of drugs." And you say, "Well, you know what? If you follow Jesus, you won't go to hell when you die." Is that what is that? See, what they need—they don't need to know about what they, they can't go to hell when they die. What they need to know is there's power in somebody to free me from this addiction, right? That's the hope of the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be telling people. We're to share, we can share in the glory of Christ by becoming like him. So when Christ appears, the scriptures tell us that we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That when the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, of his Messiah, and he reigns forever and ever, we who have faithfully followed Christ, we will reign with him, Not over this dump that we're on right now, this earth that's going to be renovated. We're going to live and reign with Christ on a new, in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwell. And this is one of the best hopes that we have. Our loved ones who have gone on to meet the Lord before us, they're all going to be there too. They're going to be there too. We'll all get these new and glorious bodies that are like Christ's glorious body. And I can't go past this without saying Those bodies will probably have all the hair they're supposed to have, (laughs) right? (laughs) And they'll probably be like the perfect proportion, you know, like Adam and Eve. Think about that, how they were. They were perfect, right? So that's what we'll be. We'll all be perfect. Don't waste your time trying to get perfect in life. What we're doing with this thing is just trying to keep this thing from falling apart. It's going to fall apart anyway, right? It's a lump of clay that's eventually going to fall apart. There's nothing you can do about it. You just to, I mean, you do the best you can, but let's keep our focus on that, that eternal thing, that, that new body that we're all going to get. See, those and many other blessings are part of the hope of glory we have in Christ. And notice in Colossians 1 5, Paul tells us where we hear about this hope. He says, this is the hope about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to us. And this is what I was just talking about. We've given people... Not a true message. We've given them a false message to tell them, oh, you're just, we're just trying to miss out on hell. Now, the, good, the, the word gospel means good news. See, God's people have good news to tell the whole world. It's through the message of the gospel God calls everyone to come out of the kingdom of darkness, to come into, uh, to come out of living a life that's ruled by Satan and sinful passions, a life that ends in misery, an eternal death, a life that's miserable even now? How many of us really think that we were having a good time when we lived off in our sins? You know, when I was getting drunk every day, I wasn't having a good time. Wasn't having a good time. Now, it maybe started that way. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But when it comes time at the end where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore, that's a miserable life. That's the life that we have hope of in this world. But Christ came, the gospel is Christ came to take us out of that life, to, to free us from that life of sin. And to bring us into, into and inherit the, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's son. See, in this kingdom, we find the only way to a transformed life in this world and eternal life in the world to come. In the kingdom of God, Satan and sin are no longer our masters. And when I say in the kingdom of God, we're in the kingdom of God right now. We're, in, we're, we're among his people. It's not fully realized, but this is the foretaste of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. In the kingdom of God, our past is erased. Our sins are taken away. And we become a new person with a new nature when we are united with Christ in baptism. In the kingdom of God, as we learn to love God and love our neighbors, ourselves, by serving one another humbly in love, we're becoming like God in true righteousness and holiness. And as Jesus tells us, we're laying up treasures for ourselves in a kingdom that will last forever in the coming age. You know we see things every day that remind us how fragile the things of this world are, and how fragile our own lives are. The you know, things people spend many years building can be wiped out in a matter of seconds. Strong wind blows through and it wipes out everything that you've strived to build. Uh, a crazy person comes in with a gun and shoots everybody in the place. Okay, these things happen constantly, right? Our lives can be cut short at any time, and all our plans in this world will come to nothing. So building our lives on and pinning our hopes on the things of this world, well, Jesus teaches us that's like building our house on sinking sand. It doesn't take much for it all to come crashing down. So we need to be sure that we're building our lives on a more sure hope. We need a hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And thank God we have such a hope. The hope is stored up for us in the kingdom of heaven. Thank God when Christ comes again in glory, we who faithfully follow Jesus will be richly rewarded for everything we did in the name of the Lord. And that glorious hope is ours through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as God's people, let's keep reminding ourselves, our hope is not in this world. Can I suggest something for all of us? And I'm talking to myself too. Let's stay off the internet. Stay off the internet. What are we doing on the internet? What's, what, what good is it doing us? Now, if you've got to get on every job, I understand. What I'm saying is the entertainment that we get from the internet, right? We spend countless hours on a thing that tells us we're, uh, you know, talking to people, reading people's stuff that we're friends with that we don't know these people from anybody, right? And how many of us do that, but we, we say, you know, I don't have time to read the scriptures. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time for this or for that. See, we all get the same 24 hours in a day, correct? The question is, what are we going to do with those hours? Right? We all get a choice. Can I do it? What am I going to spend my time doing? So the world is, uh, is terrible. It's getting worse. And when we uh, uh, expose ourselves to that kind of stuff, we're just letting the devil pump stuff into our minds to let us think like he wants us to think. All I'm saying, and I'm, I'm not saying this to be legalistic. Like I said, I'm talking to myself as well. We need to change our priorities, change our mind, think differently about the things of the world. Satan is not our friend. His kingdom is dark. We don't have to get on the Internet and argue with people about how dark the kingdom is. We all know it's dark. They know it's dark, right? You're not converting anybody on Facebook, by the way, just so everybody knows that. You're not converting anybody. Nobody comes to the Lord or gets on Facebook. and Oh, boy, I became a Christian when I read this dude's comment on Facebook. Doesn't happen that way. Because on Facebook, everybody's a, I'm going to stop right there. Uh, we're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. What well, we need to remind ourselves? So we're citizens of heaven. We need to stop worrying about the things of the world and remind ourselves that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Think about what I'm saying to you. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's where we are. That's where our mind should be. That's where our hearts should be. That's where our lives should be. Our hope is the hope of glory. Our hope is stored up for us in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And our hope is that when Christ, who is our life, appears, And we also will appear with him in glory. And John tells us, this is from that same passage, he tells us, those who have this hope in him, what do they do? Purify themselves just as he is pure. What that means is get the sin out of your life. You ain't going to bring that into the kingdom with you. And you don't have to because we have the power of God in us through the Holy Spirit so we don't have to give in to those things anymore. So let me give you one more piece of advice. Go find somebody this week who is addicted to sin, somebody who's addicted to whatever it is, and tell them the hope that we have in Christ. The hope is if you give your life to Christ, he will break that addiction. His power is more powerful than anything you can be addicted to. There's probably 100, well, there's not 100 people here, but uh, that's uh, living by faith. 100 people in this room could stand up and, and tell you, well, no, this but there's a lot of people in this room who could stand up and say, we were once this way, but now we're this way. And the thing that happened in between was what? The grace of God came into our lives. We were born again. We became new creatures in Christ. And now we live our lives through, through, uh, through faith in him. And we're able to live the life he wants us to live. That's a message that the world around us needs to hear right now. So one of these days, Christ is going to come back. And we're all going appear with, to appear with him in glory. And what a glorious day that will be. thank God for the hope of God's people as we close, we face many difficult days in this world. No way around it. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And his implication is there is I have overcome the world. So you, it's not I've overcome the world so you don't have to. No, he's saying I've overcome the world and you in me can now overcome the world as well through the spirit of God that's in you. So there's trouble in the world. But as God's people, let's not allow ourselves to become disillusioned or discouraged or discontent. Let's turn our attention away from the fleeting things we can see and focus on the forever things we cannot see. Let's focus on giving thanks to God. Thank God for the faith of God's people. Thank God for the love of God's people. Thank God for the hope of God's people. For those and 10,000 more reasons, let's follow Paul's pattern and let's continue to thank God for his people.